happy Monday, 20, April 24th. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am one of your hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast. Joining me is my co-host, Mike Pearson. Howdy, Delaney. How's things? Oh, things are good, Mike. How's things on your end? They are fantastic because I have ducks. I know. The picture, we need to post a picture on Twitter and Facebook so everybody can see that one ugly duckling in your bunch. Yes, I think, you know, it, he's not an ugly or she, I don't know yet. Hey, any <laughs> listeners out there, how do you sex a duck before they start laying eggs? Let me know. Um, I know it has something to do with a cloaca, but I don't know where to look for yes, a cloaca. Yes, that sounds right. Um, so anyway, any guidelines would be helpful, but, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's a, he's a little, little guy, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're growing. They're in the basement. They are, uh, they were at the farm store and, uh, you know, they always have chickens. This was the first time I'd seen them have ducks. And, uh, I thought, you know, I've got to buy them. And my wife was home. She wasn't feeling very well. So I thought it brightened her day a little bit to show up with six ducks. And, uh, was she happy about the ducks or did she just feel like that was one more chore for her to have to help you with? Well, I think she's going to love the ducks. Uh-huh. I'm yeah. sure she will. Yeah, she are they will. inside ducks at the moment? They are for the moment, yes. But they will mm-hmm. be outside ducks, of course. Duck poop looks awful. It's so large. Yeah, that's one of the things that kind of surprised me. For such yeah. little animals, they poop a lot. I know. That's what I that's when I was home for Easter and we had the the grandbaby ducks. That's one comment my dad made was they make a lot of poop. They sure do. And they they eat quite a bit, which I guess, you know, you have to if you're going to produce that much poop. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, I won't go there. So so I've got ducks, Delaney. What else is going on in your world? How was your weekend? Um, My weekend was good. I don't have too much going on. Actually, yeah, I do. I I lied. Um, I have quite a few shoots this week. I work at Iowa Public Television besides doing the podcast, and we're trying to get our second season of the IPTV Kids Clubhouse wrapped up. So I have quite a few shoots this week. And then other than that, homework for my master's degree. And uh, that's about it. Perfect. Well, is there anything going on in the world of agriculture that we need to be talking about? Of today? course there is. It's, it's a little bit of a slow start to the week. But today, um, Senate is back from their two-week recess, and Sonny Perdue's nomination is slated to be voted on tonight. And with that, they're hoping to have a swearing-in session tomorrow for him as the new Secretary of Agriculture. And then they've already made plans for him to be shipped off to Wisconsin to deal with some of the impact from the Canadian dairy um, problem. Yeah, their policy change up there in Canada. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which is, yeah. So yeah. he could be in Canada by the end of the week? They said they um, hope to have him wrapped up and back to the back to the White House by the end of the week. Wow. So right. I think uh, he's going to hit the ground running here. And also, kind of tying in with that and other White House news, Friday is the last day to pass funding for legislation. And if that's not passed by Friday, I believe the government will be on a shutdown. So uh, Purdue is hopefully going to work on the budget with them. The USDA is slated to be cut, I think it was like $21 billion, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. 20-some 20, 20 percent of their budget, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, so that's all. He'll be up there and can uh, suss out what, what we need here in uh, production agriculture and make sure the USDA still has that, or at least some of the funding. Right. He's going to have a busy week ahead of him. No kidding. I don't envy that guy one bit. (laughs) 
What do you have for news, Mike? Well, the one thing I just wanted to bring to our listeners' attention, on Friday we had the Catalan Feed Report released, and it was uh, probably considered a bearish report. Uh, the big numbers were total Catalan Feed. We were at just over 100% of a year ago, which is more or less what the trade was anticipating. We're about a percent higher than the average estimate. The big shocker was the number of cattle placed on feed in the month of March. Basically, that was 11% higher than the month of March last year, and so it was 6% higher than the the trade had it figured, and it was 2% higher than the highest estimate. So that tells us that we've been talking about this wall of beef coming for some time. It's been one of those looming things over the market. Well, now it looks like those beef cattle are getting loaded into the feed yard. Uh, probably will start to have a negative effect on the August and later futures contracts. So just something to keep in mind. Mm, so that's a yeah, good thing to keep in mind when you are hedging or uh, trading. Yeah, or cattle. just you know, trying, to, trying to make a living, trying to right. make a dollar. Right. beef on people's yeah. tables. Well, uh, let's see. I, I only have one other quick mention here. President Trump's 100th day of his presidency will be tomorrow. And uh, with that, he is rolling out four executive orders theoretically tomorrow to mark his 100th day in office. And a couple of those are dealing roughly with agriculture, a review of offshore drilling regulations, a couple other ones that don't really have anything to do with agriculture, but he is also expected to sign an executive order creating a task force to examine the concerns of rural America and suggest legislative and regulatory changes to address them. So not exactly sure. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? That sounds like political gobbledygook. What's he going to be doing? I don't know that it's a, really made clear yet what that is going to be. But I know things on his agenda are WOTUS. I think that there's a a hearing or um, what's the word I'm looking for, where people can come and yeah, give their thoughts about it. Okay, a hearing. I think that's a, on the agenda for this week. So besides WOTUS and some EPA regulations, I, I don't really know what that means. Okay. Well, then I guess we can shape it going forward or something. Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. And I just had one other thing to note. Walmart, as a lot of folks know, has been big on the push for sustainable beef. That's one of those things that they have been talking about for quite some time. And now they have expanded their push for sustainability. They issued a challenge last Wednesday to U.S. farmers. They have an ambitious goal to cut carbon emissions in their supply chain by one gigaton, which is one billion tons of carbon by 2030. And they say an important way to do that is by collaborating with their farmers who grow and raise, uh, you know, the stuff that gets sold at Walmart uh, to because they they have work with growers who cover 76 million acres and they want to optimize fertilizer application. So Walmart continuing that push in that uh, nebulously defined category of sustainability. All right, that all sounds good. Like like we said earlier, a lot of slow stuff today. But if people on Twitter and Facebook that are following us have news or have things that they think we should be reporting on, please let us know. Yeah, by all means, send us a tweet, send us a message on Facebook. And if there's something we should be covering that we're not, hey, we want to hear about it. You know, we're just two people and we can't be everywhere. That's right.
Well, Mike, do you want to give us a quick uh, update on the closing market prices for today before we talk to Elaine Cub? I do, and I really want to give the closes for soybeans, and we'll get to them in just a second. In the corn pit, May corn closed up today two and a quarter cents, finishing at three fifty nine and a quarter. December corn up one and a half at three eighty three and a half. In soybeans, the May contract up ten and a half cents, finished at nine sixty one and a half. Novi beans up six and a quarter, finished the day at nine sixty five and three quarters. Over in wheat, sad trombone, May wheat again down two cents, closed the day at 4.03 even. December wheat down one and a quarter, finished at 4.58 even. Looking over at the livestock trade, we are finding a bit of a correction after last week's explosive push higher. The April live cattle contract, very thinly traded right now. We are in delivery. That contract closed down 70 cents, finishing at 129.10. The June live cattle contract closed down a dollar 42 and a half, finished at 115.27 and a half. In feeder cattle, the April contract, again thinly traded, closed down 12 and a half cents, finishing at 138.42 and a half. May feeder cattle down a dollar 47 and a half, closed at 137.77 and a half. Looking at the hog market, Maylene Hogs, ho ho, another change, up a dollar twenty-five, finished at sixty-four twenty-seven and a half. June lean hogs up a dollar fifteen, closed at sixteen forty-seven and a half. And a quick look at the May Class Three milk contract, down a nickel, finished at fifteen fifty-nine. Delaney, should we hear what Elaine Cub has to say about the markets and really just what else is on her mind? Yeah, I think we should. She has a lot of great things to say. All right, folks, we are here with uh, one of our regular contributors. We're talking to our good friend, Elaine Cub. Elaine is a market analyst. She is a genius. She's a polymath, and she is a cattle farmer up in South Dakota. Now, Elaine, how's planting going up there? Are you guys wet? No. In fact, we are dry. We would prefer to have some April showers to make bring those May flowers. But um, things are slow here, obviously. Nobody in north central South Dakota gets real excited about planting anything in April at all, except for spring wheat, which you know, I know you guys have covered this topic that, you know, wheat has fewer and fewer acres every year. Um, so anyway, it's just a lot of field work going on. And, as you know, the dry spring is good for field work, I suppose one could say. That's right. Now, doing field work, Elaine, I mean, that's something we appreciate. I'm looking out my front window here at my neighbor. He's out there doing a little bit of spring tillage. How far back in history does doing field work matter? I mean, how long have we been talking about this in agriculture? Can you think of any Uh. examples? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, actually. So I have just um, I'm, I'm in the process of writing my column for this week and I have found an old saying, um, like really old. It, the saying is the farmer reaps with the plow. And in Latin, I don't know how to say it or how to pronounce it, but it's funny because they've found these old clay tablets like in Pompeii and various other Roman sites that this this saying has been passed around the Roman world over and over and over again for obviously like more than 2000 years. So it's interesting to to see how little sayings like that get passed around. And I don't know exactly how I'm going to make a column out of that. But I did think that 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 saying is interesting. And and it's timely even now, right? The farmer reaps with the plow. If you get a good stand of crop, if you get it planted at a correct time, you will experience a yield benefit. 
Now, Elaine, we've mentioned this before, and you're touching on it a lot right now, but you are a writer besides being a market analyst. So you write for DTN and a blog. Is that correct? Um, well, to be honest, Delaney, most of what I put on the blog is just republishing my columns okay. from DTN, and I don't even always remember to do that. No, I write a, a bi-weekly column for DTN. That's correct. So what uh, what things do you usually try to cover? I mean, you're talking about a meme for this week, so, but do you always do fun stuff, or do you do a lot of market analyst trends? Tell us about yeah. your column. Well, what I, what I typically like to do is to have some sort of um, – you know, numerical quantitative data that I'm, you know, presenting um, in in an interesting way. So actually, the column this week, I have obviously I haven't really got all the details worked out, but I'd like to talk about the the idea of whether or not the grain markets should be reflecting some risk premium, or if they should be, you know, having higher prices because of a late planting. In the last, the name of the column is Cubs Den, and in the last Cubs Den column, I talked about how the soybean markets aren't really responding to harvest weather concerns in Argentina. And it also kind of feels like, you know, last year and last several years, actually, the markets don't really respond to late planting concerns, even in the U.S. And I think there's some fundamental reasons for that. Um, and it's just hard to, you know, to sort out all of the variables that might be going on. But I wanted to talk about that. And and so that meme about the farmer reaps with the plow is just a fun way of kind of getting into that topic. I try to get a good quantitative topic, but then I try to, I don't know, present it in a not so dry way. Mm-hmm. That's right. You got to have a hook just to bring people in. A hook. Thank yeah. you, Mike. That's the word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, Elaine, I mean, while I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm going through in my head the, uh, the topic you just mentioned for your column. You know, the market isn't reflecting any premium. Well, let's look at last year. We had that tremendous drought or the tremendous uh, delays and the loss of the crop in Brazil. And we still managed to grow record crops here. If Argentina's having harvest weather right now, we're still growing a huge crop in Brazil. I mean, the market, yeah. is it justified? Are those factors not already included in the pricing? Yeah, so um, I should correctly hat tip that this, this is one of the theories behind this, and I got this from um, Dr. Daryl Ray. Uh, he has pointed out to me that, you know, part of the reason why we're not seeing these responses in the market risk premium because of the planting weather or the harvesting weather is because we have so many so much grain stocks, right? Like we are operating in an environment of ample inventory. So if this was a year or a marketing year where we didn't have so much inventory, we weren't so comfortable with our supplies, we probably would be seeing, um, you know, more risk behavior, more risk response or more of a more volatility in the price anytime that you'd get some sort of a supply worry. Um, so now I think, you know, I guess that's one of the, one of the theories here, right? Is that we're just, and that's what I talked about. It's really hard for me to go back and do a study here and and definitively say that the markets respond less now than they did five years ago. You'd have to somehow parse out all of those variables, especially the variable of the excess inventories. Does that make sense? I don't know. I feel yeah. like I'm rambling. No, this. No, it makes the, <laughs> like the, I said, the column is in, in, it's a work in progress at the moment. Yeah, I think the fundamental insight behind that, uh, that Daryl Ray insight is clear. If, if we have a pile of grain sitting right over here in the bins, I'm going to be a little bit less nervous about what's growing in the field because I know I've got my insurance over here. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you mm-hmm. can 
how you can quantify that. Could you use stocks to use ratios as a barometer for a control factor? Yeah. So what you could do, what someone should do, <laughs> some you know grad student or somebody that had yes. like six months to devote to this, you you would do um, you know a linear regression analysis of all of the different variables, and you would then be able to parse out the ones that don't matter or to be isolate the influences from just one factor and not the other factors. But so for the purposes of my biweekly column of a thousand words, I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> so if we have any uh, ag econ grad students listening in, hey, there's your master's thesis. <laughs> I think that I would love that. I would love to see that. And so a lot of times, so a lot of times I'll get these great ideas that I want to present in the column. And I know that I don't have the time to devote to that research in my week that I have to write the column. And I'll look and I'll see if someone has done that research in the past. And, and that's a really good way to, to bring some of that good research out into the public. But uh, this one is, I think, too fresh for there to be existing mm. research makes sense yeah that yeah. makes sense that does so elaine switching tracks here a little bit tell us about writing the book mastering the grain markets we've mentioned it before on the program but i haven't had a chance to read it yet because mike keeps forgetting to bring me the book um what, so tell you a, delaney i'm gonna send you a copy okay that would be awesome and bless you for mentioning it on your podcast i appreciate that i love that of very course. much yeah so tell us about the book i mean i've read bios about it and I, it's obviously about mastering the grain market but what was it like to write the book and how i mean how would you write a book about mastering the grain markets yeah, yeah. elaine <laughs> i'm i'm curious i've never heard the origin story what prompted ah. what prompted you to write this okay yeah um i was uh, at a speaking engagement at a bank meeting in monmouth illinois i think with your dad mike gotcha and, i know um, the bank yeah, I'm sure you do. And I, and some guy came up afterwards and he asked for reading recommendations. And I was like, uh, I, uh, you know, there, there really wasn't really anything, you know, there really wasn't, there was not an existing book to cover that information, that knowledge that I would have liked to have read, to have read before I got into the industry. It's, it's the market book that I, that I wish existed and it didn't. So I thought, well, shoot, somebody really ought to write that book. Um, so that that was the inspiration for it. And Delaney, you asked what it was like. I mean, so I had been writing this column for DTN and I thought, well, I'd like a book of, I don't know, 60,000, 100,000 words. And I write this column that's about a thousand words at a time. And I thought, well, you just take that time 60 and you get a book. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not the way it works at all. That's not the it has to be. There's so much rewriting and getting everything to fit together and being thoughtful about what topics you're going to put in what order and 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 again um also the, uh, a woman that was previously an editor at, at DTN who had retired her name was Pat Hill and she passed away a few years ago but she she was very helpful for me with me to bounce ideas off of about the book and she helped convince me to put in some kind of fun little snippets in there about you know the types of people that are actually trading in the grain markets so um so that's kind of how it came about, and, and it was a long and much harder process than I thought it would be to write a book-length piece of verbal words. Yeah. <laughs> how long did it take you start to finish? Mm, start to finish, I would say probably 18 months, but a lot mm. of that was pondering and rearranging. Probably six straight months of hard writing time. Wow. So what's next? What book are you writing next, Elaine Gubb? 
Well, the book that I ought to be writing next is Mastering the Livestock Markets, obviously. Mm-hmm. But here, okay, I want to I want to ask you guys some advice about this because, like, I'm I struggle to get into it for a number of, for a number of reasons. One is I don't think there will be as big of an audience for it, so it's it's hard to get real motivated, and I don't know who that audience would really be, you know. Right. The, because. Because a lot of people don't read books anymore. They read it on their Kindle or listen to it through an audio book, which maybe that's something that would be interesting. Well, and Delaney, that that reminds me of something that came up. So when I when I had this idea to write Mastering the Grain Markets, I was kind of, you know, tossing it around with some folks. And some people said, oh, adults, adults don't learn that way. Adults don't read books. Adults read journal articles. They read, you know, magazines. And, Mm -hmm. And I think that is largely true. But but people like books too. I like books. Yeah, I mean, definitely. If I have a topic that I want to go learn about, I I go buy a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I I, I think once. But who you're... wants to learn about you know order buying of cattle? Well, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting question because I think, and I could be mistaken, when you look at the livestock industry, whether it's poultry, pork, or and and beef all combined, I believe there are more farmers of livestock than there Mm. are any other type of farmer but a lot of those are the guys with you know five cows on a little bit Mm -hmm. of pasture and yeah does he want to learn how to market his five calves more effectively yeah yeah that would be interesting Mm -hmm. a large portion of the audience for the grain market book is speculators right it's people who want to dabble in the commodity markets or learn about trading those futures and so the livestock book could be approached from that segment too. But yeah, Mike, if I want to, if I was going to write a book about the livestock market, it would include sheep and ducks, your ducks. And I mean, it would include everything. Like livestock is such a huge topic. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know, I would be fascinated to read an approach from the speculator side as you look at the livestock markets because they are so different in how they're traded than the grain markets. I mean, yeah, you know, they're cash-led. Yeah. yeah, they're cash-led. And I was just looking at the uh, commitment of traders from feeder cattle last week. And, geez, you look at the amount of positions held by small specs in feeder cattle. It's yeah. huge. They're massively short right now. But it's a huge position compared to the grains, which tend to be dominated by commercials yeah. and the large specs. That's true. You know, what, what impact does that have on how it trades? Yeah. Well, so that's a goal for 2017 is to get this book written. And I've got you know, eight months left. So you <laughs> can do it. Yeah. We believe in you. It took you 16 months on the first one. You cut that in half. You're there. Yeah, surely. Yeah. So what else is going on in the world of Elaine Cup? I want to hear what else are you reading? What else is, is gripping your mind? Because you always have interesting thoughts, Elaine. Yeah, I, I'd like to see, you know, some market response one way or the other to some sort of weather. I mean, you know, that's okay. Here, here's something that's on my mind is that I have been saying, Wait for the summer rally, right? Sell your grain in the summer rally. And I've been saying that, and every other market analyst I've heard for the past six months has been saying, sell a bunch of grain on a summer rally. Um, So we all say that, and then what happens if there is no summer rally? Right. Mm. Well, let's let's think that through, Elaine. So let's say that I'm, I'm a producer sitting out here. I've got a pile of old crop corn in the bin. I've sold all my old crop beans, and I'm growing a 50-50 rotation. Yeah. Weather looks good. I mean, for, for most of us, I mean, we'll probably yep. be able to get in, get it planted, you know, mid yep. to third week in May. I want to sell on a summer rally, but I'm getting yep. concerned that maybe we won't have it. 
How do I approach yep. that as a marketing challenge today? Do I start? Do, do I start buying some calls today and unloading some physical grain? Do I? Do I buy some puts and just see what happens? What would you do? Well, one, I would make sure, I mean, it's too late now, but I hope that this person in this scenario has crop insurance, right? right? Yeah, let's assume they got, do. Okay, then they've got crop insurance. So then they, you know, then if the whole market falls apart, they have revenue of crop insurance that they'll have some sort of a of a floor that way. I'm, you know, I don't think that I would like the idea of buying calls. That's, I mean, and when you said it, Mike, you said to sell the physical and buy some calls to give yourself some upside is what you is what you said, yeah. just to clarify. And that's fine. That's but it's not really a risk protection um, movement. So this person's concern is that there will be no summer rally and prices might just continue lower into the into the harvest. They're concerned that it means that they need to be pursuing traditional hedging just at, you know, less pleasant prices than they had in mind. So this is the classic scenario of buying puts, which is what puts were designed to do is to give you the opportunity to cover your downside, which is what we're talking about. And then if the summer rally does happen, then you have opportunities um, to sell the grain later. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying to get your upside on the paper at this point. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Now, what, what makes you think about it that way? Why would you not sell the physical right away and instead buy the put. Well, because the idea is that, that there will be this summer rally, right? We keep, Oh God, I know. I know. So now I'm, I'm talking myself back into that, that same uh, trap of expecting that summer rally. But yeah, I just don't like the idea of, of locking in those prices for the physical grain at these levels. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Elaine, you, you mentioned earlier, just really quick here before we wrap up for today, um, there's not a lot of going on in the markets or in news, but yeah. do you maybe want to give us a quick update on what you think could happen this week or things we should be watching for this week? Well, the last week in April. Hmm. I mean, I'm so sorry, guys. Like, this is like, this is like the, the moment right the, the calm before the storm, right? There's probably going to mm -hmm. be World War Three or something because there's just, I wish, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, you wait for, for something to happen in the weather um, for grains, but it hasn't happened or it did happen in Argentina and nobody cared. Um, so I don't know. I just, I feel like we are just stuck in the doldrums. What about livestock, Elaine? We're going to keep running. Is there enough strength out there in the countryside to, drive this market even higher on the live cattle? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that uh, part of part of the reason why it's recovering is because it's recovering from the fundamental backside of this, the retail beef prices, right? Those those choice cutout prices are hanging in there, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's what's driving it is that the U.S. consumer is able to keep on affording this. We had the dollar drop today. That was sort of interesting because the euro went straight up, but so that's the dollar dropping like that for that reason is not suddenly a concern about the economy. I think we still have a, a strong economy, strong consumer spending, no reason to freak out about retail meat prices. Therefore, no reason for the industry, the beef industry, the hog industry to keep on passing that money back into the futures market. 
Now, what happened with the euro? Are they just uh, is the are the traders glad that Le Pen and Macron won the French election or, or go to the runoff? It's interesting how from one day to the next, our dollar can get flopped around so much just because of of that one factor. It might just be a one day thing. Okay. Well, Elaine, we know you have all kinds of work to do up there on the ranch, <laughs> so we will let you get back to it. But I uh, want to send a huge thank you for uh, taking the time to kind of chew the fat with us today. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I'll get to work on my column. And I will apologize again that, you know, I didn't have anything fun and exciting. But I think that in itself is sort of interesting, too, isn't it? That there's just nothing, you know, we're just limping along here without anything moving these markets. What's what's it going to take, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, the, uh, that's the boat we're in as podcast producers is, oh, boy, yes. what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you today. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much, Elaine. Thanks, you guys. Again, a big, huge thank you to Elaine Cub. She's always super willing to talk to us, and I think she always has great things to say. Yeah, there's a million and one things running through that brain. So it's always good to uh, get a little bit of them out and get them on record. And, Delaney, I just wanted to make an announcement. Thanks to Elaine Cub, we now understand the reason for. 420, which we were discussing last week. That's right. For those of you who uh, want to know the answer, look up the podcast Criminal, and the uh, it's the April 7th edition gives the full story. Basically, it was just a couple of stoners in California got it started. <laughs> yeah, which I, I I talked to somebody at work about that at IPTV, and they had mentioned that that uh, that's that was the start. So. Interesting. Came a little after 420, so I couldn't announce it on the podcast, but... Gotcha. Well, what else do we have coming up this week, Delaney? Coming up this week, there's a few things in the works. Um, we might be talking to Chad Colby tomorrow if I can get confirmation from him. On Wednesday, we will be talking to a former Exxon Mobil employee to talk about oil. Uh, Thursday, we are talking to Margie from FarmHer. And a few other things in the works, but I think we'll have a great lineup again for the listeners this week. Perfect. Well, everybody, we encourage you to stay tuned. Do subscribe to us on iTunes and take the time, please, we deeply appreciate it, to rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, we'll make sure to give you a shout out on the air. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 